Hello and welcome to the agroinnovations.com podcast, all things related and debated in agriculture, from appropriate technology to fair trade, globalization, and organics. This episode of the podcast will deal with a theme that we commonly touch on, open source appropriate technology. Today we are with um, Marcin Jakubowski, uh, who is um, the writer on uh, openfarmtech.org, I believe. Um, let's just get started by you telling us where your farm is located. We're in um, northwest Missouri in the Kansas City area, the United States. Okay. Um, I was reading on your blog this morning, and so I want to read here a quote from uh, Mahatma Gandhi. Swadeshi is that spirit in us which requires us to serve our immediate neighbors before others and to use things produced in our neighborhood in preference to those more remote. So doing, we serve humanity to the best of our capacity. We cannot serve humanity by neglecting our neighbor, our neighbors. What does this quote mean to you in the context of your life and work? Um, first of all, I don't know where you got it on our blog, but that's that's the closest to our heart in any case. Um, I have to look it up where where you got it, but I didn't. As far I, did, as, I get the I got the quote from Wiki, it, Wikipedia actually. Yeah. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah. Well, the deal is, mm, uh, that's a long. It's a totally long discussion, but basically, our society has become so dependent and not self reliant, and when I think about my work, the what I see is the the underlying theme behind all of it is that if society were more self-sufficient on a personal level, that would transfer to the political level, of course. But that would be the uh, I call this lack of self-sufficiency as the as the cause of all types of problems, and that's when we get dependent on others to meet our, especially if, if that's a, about meeting our basic needs, then we get into a lot of trouble and all kinds of like, kinds of troubles like war, um, bureaucracies and all kinds of deprivation happen as a result of lack of this type of self-sufficiency. So we go about this project, this program by developing open source technology for sustainable living to make people more self-reliant on all fronts. So start starting with technology, though, because that's the most tangible uh, for all types of um, all types of needs. Yes, and yeah. um, when one of one of the most iconic images of of Gandhi in my mind is him spinning. Um, you know, many people might not realize that he was constantly uh, spinning uh, yarn, and it was his contention that he was spinning his way to India's future and freedom. Um, and mm -hmm. that was essentially, he was saying what, what you're saying, is that um, local self-sufficiency is essentially the key to self-rule. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's a positive thing, I think, to hear that other people are taking that message and, and running with it. Um, so tell us about uh, the Global Village construction set. Okay. Well, it's a set of tools. Um, as, as a reference, please go to the weblog, which is openfarmtech.org slash weblog, and you can see a presentation on the whole concept. But the, the idea is to produce a basic tool set that will help people become simply more self-sufficient. So 
as we go about this adventure, we aim to live with all the technology that we develop as well to see if it's if it's feasible how how does it work in practice so right now as we got landed in northwest missouri um, we've got the 30 acres that we're stewarding here we're making our road as we walk including the technologies that we are building for example the first first product first real device that we're we have developed and uh, will be using shortly is a compressed earth block press, a high performance three to five blocks per minute press that we need here for our our building needs. Right now we live in a natural home. We've got a cordwood addition to this earth bag initial structure. But we find that okay, if we go the natural building way, it's really time consuming and labor intensive. So uh, what's the next step? We we figured the compressed earth block press would do it because you can do both industrial scale or natural building with it. So um, that's a that's an example of um, of the first technology that we're we're developing and living with. Now the next item is a we call it life track. It's a, an open source tractor. This tractor will run the compressed earth block press itself through the hydraulic fluid. Uh, and it will do a whole variety, it will be a super versatile, designed for disassembly, low cost, open source tractor. So we're going to power the compressed earth block press, the mixing equipment, the, the rototiller to mix soil. It's going to have a front end loader. It's going to run the compressed earth block press plus a sawmill, hydraulically driven, all kinds of implements up to a, a well drilling rig. So we're saying, okay, here's the technology. Uh, that we need to live sustainably on a farm and we're saying okay if we want to get it from the industrial system today we're gonna pay about a hundred thousand dollars for all the services I, I mentioned include plus others uh, but our costs will be about eight thousand dollars to put this tractor together with all the implements that I mentioned and some others uh, so that's that gives you a flavor of what we're after and then um, our third main project which will we're aiming to start this year is to build solar concentrator electric power generation about 40 square meters of collector area running a turbine uh, which to my knowledge would be the first small-scale ele electrical generation system of this nature and that's that's something we're we're involved in um, everyone says that this is not possible on this scale but I think we've got some some keys to that that will make it work so um, yeah, just basics of various technologies, and that's not to mention the agricultural side. It's it's both about agriculture and technology. On the agricultural side, we're planting out a lot of trees. We have a small nursery here. We aim to basically um, have the entire plot set up in permacultural activity. You name all kinds of edible plants. We we probably have them here already. Uh, we've did, done things like grafting uh, English walnuts onto native walnut rootstock. We've got apple, pear, peach, plum, and all those goodies, uh, grapes, and uh, hazelnuts, chestnuts, so forth, uh, to make this a wholly sustainable operation as part of our research and, and development work. Plus, we've got the animal husbandry, like, like chickens, goats, bees. Um, so we're trying to put the whole package together, make it a livable environment for us right now, and then replicate it basically sell somewhat of a a uh, package for what I call radically buying out at the bottom. You can live well off the land if you have um, 
the techniques to do it, which include agriculture and technology. Let's let's talk a little more about this uh, compressed uh, earth block press. Uh, it is, as you said, uh, one of the first products that you guys are just about ready to deploy, if not ready to deploy. Um, can you tell us uh, some of the technical details and and uh, how the open source product development lifecycle kind of played itself out as you as you developed this thing? Uh huh. Yeah. The open source development method for the compressed earth block press plays itself out in the sense that all the input to this so far has been open. It's uh, recorded on our wiki at Open Farm Tech. Uh, we got in touch with people, including the inventor of, of the, some of the competitors' machines, and he was quite willing to help out as well in some details. So we're putting all the development process into the public domain. And uh, as far as funding it right now, uh, we're, we're using our workshop here to, to build the machine. Uh, but <clears throat> as far as deploying the final version with all the documentation, optimization, and uh, training of people to actually build this, to set up fabrication themselves, that's, that's all forthcoming. And we're planning on doing that by basically passing a hat, basically a collection basket, which, which we call the product release fund, which um, after the quota is reached, the kinds of uh, more detailed information regarding the, the production, optimization, and business incubation related to this product will be made available. Now, uh, what else? Uh, the unique feature about this is that uh, about the open source process here. I mean, there's uh, one aspect that you have to consider is that we're looking at optimization. So not just any crummy machine, but first of all, one that's state-of-the-art performance and where we also consider how we fabricate this machine so that others could do it as well. So as part of the project, we're actually building a computer-controlled um, torch, acetylene torch cutting table that will cut out all the metal for this at the hit of a computer button. So as you see here, we're taking the, the open source development method up to the optimization and physical production such that anyone else who wants to do it can do it because we believe this is so valuable. I think the, the world housing situation can indeed change if a low-cost machine can be produced readily in all parts of the world. And just to give you a flavor of the economics, the parts the parts themselves are under $1,500, and we aim to sell the machines at between somewhere between three dollars to $5,000, if we do that, or you can build it yourself. Now, you have to consider that the competition is $25,000 and up, so we're slashing, we're getting through, through a, a good cut of the price by using the open development. We're simply, um, our costs are simply... Uh, taken down by by the open development process, so we don't have the um, the high research costs or anything like that. And the design is it's bare bones. It's it's super simple. We're not putting any bells and whistles, but the high performance is still there, and that means three to five blocks per minute bricks that are um, up to about 500 psi strong, which is which is as strong as uh, some some stone. 
and the bricks are going to be 4 by 6 by 12 inches, so a nice uh, size that you can manage easily. And it's, uh, the machine is automated in a sense that, well, you, you have manual controls to run it, but um, you load the soil in a hopper, and a hopper load the compression chamber automatically back, back and forth, such that you're able to produce 3 to 5 bricks per minute. And that's sufficient to uh, start producing in a serious way, so to produce living arrangements and whatever we have to do here, barns or whatever, uh, on demand. And not only that, the other unique feature, the way we're designing it, is besides designed for disassembly, meaning very easy to take apart and maintain, we're making it scalable, such that in tandem you could put uh, you could put four of these machines together and you can get a production of, of about a thousand bricks per hour. So that's a that's a serious that's serious production capacity and that kind of um, that kind of a machine lend, lends itself to community brick production and and building um, in a serious way. Okay, maybe next question. Yeah, my my question uh, is still related to the uh, uh, block press, but um, how does the open source model uh, play itself out in terms of uh, the maintenance and life cycle of the product itself? Okay, uh, in terms of maintenance and life cycle, the open documentation is is key. So by virtue of, ha of having full design blueprints and manual and people and a community using this, you basically have a de facto lifetime warranty on the machine. And that's combined with the design itself, which uses primarily easy to obtain parts off the shelf largely uh, that you don't have to go out of your way to get. And um, what is particularly open source about it? The, 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 yeah, I mean, there's the design element that makes it easy to maintain, which is not necessarily an open source feature, but the feature that is open source is the, is the availability of complete design drawings and documentation that makes you able to understand this thing completely, the, the absolute transparency that makes you, the user, able to maintain it very effectively without having to go to the experts or to the shop to get this thing repaired. Right, and it also occurs to me that, um, I mean, in comparison to the competitors, you know, you, you probably have to order parts, and those parts most likely have to come from far away, and as time goes by, uh, those parts may or may not be available. So mm -hmm. it, seems, it seems like a, a way to combat sort of planned obsolescence. Absolutely. And the, the other feature that's worth noting is that the product evolves constantly. As the community online is set up and, and as, as users, um, builders and users start to, start to come about, uh, constant development is, is a natural part of a project like this. So there will be support at all times, and especially if a larger, larger community builds itself. And we believe that will. Um, and we, we're getting contacted constantly about people who want the machine, and we're saying not yet. We're aiming at production in about October, November. So there is huge demand for this, and it's a it's a really economically significant product. That's that's proven technology. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, something that I'm just generally interested in uh, is 
the use of uh, open source, free and open source software pretty much mm-hmm. for any application. But you had mentioned um, using uh, oxyacetylene table attached to uh, some kind of machining software. I believe what you're using is Linux CNC. Um, exactly. Could, could you talk about that and, and how you're using that? And maybe how is that different from the from Neil Gershenfeld's uh, Fab Lab? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the CNC software, uh, the good deal about it is that it's open source and we have open access to support documentation uh, development community. Now, I can't say much more about it because the table we have not built yet, we're, we've got all the parts and we're ready to do that, but first we're building the tractor and then um, we're going to be building a second CB machine to test out the, the fabrication. Um, but we're not going to get into the torch table, the computer-controlled version, until um, it's going to be a couple, at least a couple of months from now. Now, regarding uh, a comparison to the Fab Lab idea of Neil Gershenfeld, uh, what we're essentially doing is saying, okay, there's a the nice concept of a Fab Lab that costs a hundred thousand dollars or however much it costs for all its equipment, we would like to, to generate an open source version of that. So um, a torch cutting table like that is one of the very powerful devices that are part of the, uh, of the Fab Lab. So the Fab Lab um, has uh, what we propose in a Fab Lab is a very gener- general computer-controlled mill, drill, lathe, multi-purpose machine. That's the first item. The computer-controlled torch cutting table is another. And a smaller version of that for etching circuits is another. Uh, Those are the three major tools. But with them, you can create just about any electromechanical device. So you're talking about um, electric motors, CB machines, tractors, computer circuits, and that covers a whole range of devices. Um, now, there are some others that we can get into the details of, but those are, those are the three main machines that can be produced. At, um, the three ones that I mentioned are going to be in a, in a price range that's affordable. It's going to be much less than, than $100,000 for the whole package. Those three machines will be about $6,000 altogether. And... Um, then also looking at, for example, the, the official Fab Lab from MIT has a laser cutting in it. Well, that's also something we believe we can do. We're, we've looked at that just a little bit. And um, uh, there are already open source versions uh, of a laser. Um, this, this I found, I forget which website that was, but there, there's an information on it already. So we also believe we can do a, a laser cutter, which is, I mean, that's pretty amazing. In, a, in an open source fashion, all the technology is out there to make a thing like that quite doable because um, the largest cost of any, any advanced technological device is the information that goes into it. So if, if we can open source that, then we reduce the price of that that device automatically by a factor of several. So um, that's the basic idea is to make an affordable fab lab that you can now take onto onto any farm, community, uh, wherever you want to go and engage in digital flexible fabrication 
where you have multi-purpose machines producing a whole wide range of different devices. Now, that's different than a major commercial, uh, major industrial model where you have high high cost equipment, low skill. Here you have affordable equipment, you but you do require high high skill in the operator. So we're we're talking again about uh, reskilling the people to be to become real producers. But but I believe that. Uh, about 90 to 99 percent of the of the industrial manufacturing can be done in small scale facilities like that, up to cars, renewable energy systems, and so forth. Um, where the next frontier that the Fab Lab does not cover is the actual availability of the raw feedstocks, such as aluminum, iron, or silicon, which is the next frontier that I think can also be decentralized into local production. Once um, and that's that's our goal to do that. Uh, in the next, uh, after about two years, after we developed the whole basic survival package of technologies, we're going to get into more of the materials issues because that's that's certainly a huge, huge frontier, and thereby address the once again back to the self-sufficiency issue. If we can produce a lot of these things on our 40-acre farm, I mean, such as aluminum from abundant aluminosilicates or clays then it's like forget about all kinds of wars and resource conflicts and and so forth so that's that's the general idea but isn't it a more maybe optimal uh thing to first take a look at all the scrap aluminum and i mean it just seems like there's so much garbage everywhere that's not really garbage absolutely and that's that will be the first step uh because uh, actually um metal casting is part of our so-called fab lab package which will be more immediate. So yes, but now I'll give you an example why that does not does not uh, suffice. With that, we're relying on abundant industrial detritus. <laughs> okay, all the waste that comes out from the system. But that's not. Um, yeah, we can do that for some time. But but and maybe we can do that forever. But just like with an example of um, waste vegetable oil, for example, we we were doing biodiesel here. And it turns out that, that one of the places, our major supplies here, someone else started getting the oil. The point is, there's only a limited supply on some waste feedstocks. So you really have to consider the sustainable generation just in case. So yes, you can go far with uh, using what's available, but you also have to be ready. If that is disrupted or if that just runs out, uh, it's good to have other options. I agree with you, and and you know, with the waste vegetable oil, um, one thing that we don't take into account is there's a lot of petroleum in that, in the sense that you know you got to run tractors to mm -hmm. produce the soy or the sunflower or the canola or whatever it is, and you know there's pesticides and uh, herbicides and chemical fertilizers and and whatever else going on top of that. Um, obviously, you know we know that's not a unsolvable problem, but. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, waste vegetable oil in and of itself isn't a solution. Um, but, you know, it's always good to tighten up those loops in, in a system that's extremely leaky uh, as it yeah. stands now. Um, tell us about permafacture. Permafacture is, um, is the, um, the next word after permaculture, where permaculture is an established concept of, of generating a... a, a an agricultural system based on permanence that's much more energy uh, and resource effective. 
So the next step is permafacture. How, how can we transform the, the present industrial system into one that's, that's truly meant to serve people's needs? And one of the main features of such a system would be lifetime design. Right now, a lot of products suffer from planned obsolescence or um, the design to break after a certain certain time. So permafacture refers to the permanent aspect of production, which can be attained by uh, starting from lifetime, life, lifetime design, where the main feature of that would be designed for disassembly, the use of common parts, open documentation so you can maintain it yourself or more easily, uh, just a higher level of transparency and access and, and lowering of costs such that you can fix things rather than throw them away or design them, overbuild them, or however you design them, that they simply last a lifetime. Like the tractor that we're building, it's, um, the frame is actually all bolted together. So at the worst, the worst thing that could break, I would have to replace one of the hydraulic motors on the wheel, which is $250 as opposed to a much higher cost. So um, basically red, readily accessible parts that can be replaced and accessed and the machine can be taken apart easily. So uh, the philosophical background to that is simply think about uh, a context where we bought a certain number of items, um, well, I mean, all car, your car, or whatever it is. I mean, imagine if, if, if that could last a lifetime and therefore you're, you're going to buy that once instead of 10 times in your life. Well, what does that mean for your standard of living. Um, if that cost is, is made, say, one-tenth one -tenth on your, over your entire lifetime, that means you, you perhaps have time liberated for other more meaningful pursuits than just working to make a living. I mean, that's, the, that's our eventual goal, to, to create that kind of a, a setting where we're not slaves to our jobs and, and the need to make, an, make a living because what we use serves us for a lifetime. And that's that's the general concept be, behind permafacture. Well, also we could say that it serves us for generations and generations, and there's no reason why that couldn't be, except for maybe the obstacles in our own minds. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So this is all uh, great stuff. Uh, we're starting to run a little bit short on time. Uh, I mm -hmm. wanted to ask you if, if there's anything uh, in the last few minutes that we have uh, that you wanted to mention that we haven't had a chance to get to yet. Well, um, one thing that stands out is is uh, as you go out, like like in our case here, onto land and trying to live sustainably. It's um, it's a transformative experience by all means. It's it's beautiful and it's difficult. I, I love every second of it as I'm trying to make my own environment for living to generate my own electricity and fuels and food and and make that a viable enterprise model for other people to for for many more people to get involved in becoming producers. That's the thing we need um, for people to become more independent by being producers because the entire economy, all the uh, everything that that we enjoy rests on top of production. Someone's back who's sweating, uh, who's producing the things, and if we, we can definitely take more responsibility for that whole global geopolitical scenario by um, getting more involved in production. That's, that's why um, this is extremely rewarding to us, and we think it's very important for the rest of the world if uh, um, more people become producers. Well, I think that's a comforting vision for a lot of people who are out there uh, you know, marching towards the same goal. And uh, 
you know, it's it's nice for people to know, I think, that they're not alone in this and, uh, you know, making the transformation uh, to a producer is, is a lifetime thing and uh, we congratulate you uh, for taking that step. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. I enjoyed the talk. Mm -hmm. That concludes our interview with Marcin. We will link to his website on our podcast page. Uh, it is openfarmtech.org uh, slash weblog to, to see his blog. And there's a lot of great information and discussion on there. So I would highly recommend that anybody that is interested in these things, uh, check it out. Uh, and to reiterate, uh, Martin and, and most of the people involved in these types of collaborative open source models are very open to uh, collaboration, obviously. So get in touch with them if you're interested in doing anything that's related with this, whether it's fabrication, uh, financing, marketing. There's a lot of opportunity that's being generated by this energy around open source so please uh find your niche and uh and put yourself in the middle of things we want you to get in touch with us uh, you can contact us at podcast at agroinnovations.com with your questions comments uh, philosophies and theories you can also suggest a show we also have a contact form on our web page we are uh, happy to speak with anyone People have and do get in touch with me all the time, uh, either via email or from time to time. I do have phone conversations with people that heard about Agro-Innovations via our podcast, so uh, that is always welcome. I don't know what's coming up next. I haven't quite figured that out, but we will have some more great content for you shortly, so please stay tuned. This is the agroinnovations.com podcast. I'm Frank Aragona. Saludos. <laughs> <laughs>